The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined as always by my co-host in the city of brotherly love, Christopher Smalls Angelos. Smalls, Sunday night. Birds, big L, not a, not a good performance. Probably a lot of money lost on Bovada Sportsbook. But how are you today? Before we get into the interview, I'm good. I'm good. We had a uh, an awesome conversation with Stephen Griffin. Uh, was able my first year coaching with Stephen Griffin as a senior year. So uh, it was cool having him on the podcast and seeing how he's matured and really got his coaching career going as well. Yeah, interesting episode this week. Steve, like you said, Stephen Griffin, uh, assistant coach at Gannon University. They are the Golden Knights in the PSAC. It's their first year. Kelvin Jefferson, uh, D1 guy for a long time at Old Dominion, and then uh, South Kent Prep before that is his new head coach. But we haven't had a lot of guys as young as Steve on the show that aren't head coaches. And I thought this was a really interesting episode when you brought it up because, like you said, you coached Steve for a year, but he's a guy that was worked at the high school level, worked at Division three level, worked in the NBA for the Mavs as an intern. We talked a little bit about that. Worked at uh, Penn State as a graduate assistant and then ends up getting this job as a Division II assistant. And one of the things I really liked was kind of talking to him about how his career has mapped out and kind of how his journey went. And I thought it was a really good ep- episode to talk about what it's like for him right now, because there's a lot of people listening to this that are probably in the same situation as Steve. And I thought it was interesting. He's super wise. One of the things about him, I, I was really impressed. He comes off very, very well. I was impressed with, you know, kind of his candor, but you know, suppose I enjoyed talking to him because it's a guy that's, you know, he's not far off from like where we were a year ago, you know, two years ago and, and where a lot of people are. And so I thought this was a really good episode for that reason to kind of get in the head of somebody who's at the beginning parts of their journey because we haven't done that a whole lot. Yeah, I think you can also tell how much he's learned and changed throughout these years of these different stops. I think he he talks about having a certain outlook or idea about doing things, you know, heading to the Dallas Mavericks from Widener and then having being able to change because he's learning so much about the game of basketball, but also how to develop players and utilize technology and then developing relationships with people that can help his career as well. Um, Not just as a networking effect, more as a developing his actual skills as a basketball coach and talent evaluator and things like that. Yeah. And it's interesting too, Smalls, because we spend so much time talking about that. Like, how do you network? Like, how do you get better as a recruiter? And we actually spent a good bit of time with Steve being like, you know, how'd you get better as a player development guy? Like, what'd you learn in Dallas? Like, how'd they teach you how to watch film? How did they teach you how to get simpler in terms of your teaching? Because that's one of the things, right? Smalls, like the best coaches, like, sure, they're great X's and O's guys. They're great recruiters, but they're also able to take all the knowledge that they know share it with other people and quickly and concisely teach people. And I think like hearing Steve talk about that was really, really interesting. And I thought like for young coaches and guys who are, you know, into video and into player development, because everybody, small as we talk about, like everybody tries to carve out a niche. And so when you're talking about what your niche is, it's not like, hey, this is what my connection is to get my next job. Well, like, what's your niche to like be great at your current job? Like, what did you learn from your previous job? that's going to allow you to be better at your next job. And then what are you learning at your current job that's going to allow you to be better at your next job? And I thought Steve really pointed that out. And the conversation ended up being a little bit different than I expected because we talked a lot about kind of him almost like building the foundation of his coaching career and, and kind of like adding on and adding on and adding on. Yeah, no, it, it was it was a great conversation. Like I said, you can just 
knowing Steve from when he was a senior in college to now it's the maturity factor and exactly how he's approaching his daily. And you can tell he's really happy of where he's at and enjoying actually coaching basketball, which, you know, is something we all strive to do. And, and, you know, the people listening to this podcast want to be where Steve is and uh, hopefully do a good job. And I think they got to, obviously it's a tall task in the PSAC. It's never easy. The PSAC West, uh, you mentioned the podcast a couple of times, IUP is the gold standard. Uh, there's a lot of good teams out in there. There's a lot of good teams in the PSAC East. It's a competitive region. It's really tough, but uh, I think Gannon's primed to make that breakthrough. Yeah, and the other thing that he mentioned that I really want to talk about, and we've talked about it on the show before, but it's the idea and the of running your own race. And, you know, when you're a young guy, just kind of understanding like, hey, I am not necessarily going to be accomplishing all my goals at age 25 and just because somebody else is ahead of me in their career doesn't affect my career one bit and I think it was interesting to kind of talk to Steve about when his sort of like aha moment was because I think everybody has to kind of learn smalls and I don't want to spoil the conversation because I really enjoyed that part of it but I think talking to a guy like Steve who maybe you know his goal is still to be a division one head coach and to, to run his own program but kind of recognizing like be patient and recognize that where you are is still great and that people would trade places with you, I thought was awesome. I, I really appreciated that part about it. I'm going to start saying run your race a bunch. We said it, I don't know what the over under was on Bovada, but we probably said it, you know, 25 times. So it probably hit, I would guess. Oh man, we hit all sorts of things. I mean, we had good quotes by uh, Mike Gundy bringing me back to college football. Obviously Saturday is, uh, is always a big day in college football. There's a couple upsets. I know uh, Bovada got a little rich on that Georgia game for sure. Uh, no one saw the number three team. Yeah, they had a ton of money. There was a ton of money on Georgia. The other one, obviously, Dallas loses today. And I think the Dallas was the big, like Dallas winning was the biggest exposure probably at Bovada and the Jets coming through and, and keeping the Eagles in the division race, Smalls. I know they have a big showdown next week. That's why you're a little low energy today, but you're I'm not, not low. Gonna, I'm not low energy. You're, you're not going to kill my vibe because, Smalls, here's the thing. I, the Washington Nationals, I don't know, two, they're two wins away from the World Series, buddy. They're it is two wins away. It's, it's nuts. We're talking on the podcast before. They end up coming back. Howie Kendrick hits a grand slam in the 10th inning. Dave Roberts manages probably the, the worst 8th, ninth, and 10th inning I, he could have possibly done. Nats, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it. They take no hitters into the in seven and two-thirds on Friday and then uh, six innings on Saturday. I couldn't. It's very possible this is the greatest week in D.C. sports history. The Mystics won a title. You know, the, <laughs> the Redskins somehow managed to beat the Dolphins. The, uh, the, the, the Wizards had a preseason win, and the Nats are, are coming to D.C. Smalls with a chance to win the, the, the pennant. It's, uh, Listen, I, I do want to stay on the Nats for a little bit. Let's say the Nationals do make it to the World Series, and let's just throw out that they're matched up against the Yankees. What do you think Bovada is coming out with a – you know, what's what's the odds of the Nationals taking home the World Series? What are you getting that value at? Okay, they'll be dogs against either AL team. I think they'd be a, I think they'd be a big dog against the Astros. Maybe they'd be like plus 200, plus 225. I think they'd be a smaller dog against the Yankees just because, because of pitching. Yeah, that's what I, that would be my guess because and the Yankees lineup's crazy, but the, you know, the Astros are just awesome and whether or not they beat the Yankees, there's a ton of randomness in baseball. It's part of the reason that playoff baseball is great as we know because anything can happen. But I do want to say this, Smalls. I don't toot my own horn a lot as a gambler on this show. You know, we are a pro-gambling podcast. We, we want people to gamble. I have a future on the Nats winning the World Series. I had it. I got it at 20-1 to 1 
in August before they clinched the wild card, before they were home. I, so I have I have three digits of money on them at twenty to one to win the World Series. Oh. My, my question to you, and we'll talk about it if they manage to close out the Cardinals. I probably should just hedge, right? Like whoever they play, I should just middle it and just you know, take the, you know my theory on that. I don't know, Smalls. I, you I know my theory. I would. We are Bovada shills, but I would love to hit him for for a couple thousand dollars. Yeah, do not, do not listen. You take the confidence out of your team. You've got to instill that confidence into your squad. You hedging uh, that doesn't give create any type of energy for your squad. You keep it in. You might double down. You might triple down. That's what you got to do. I have I have had a very hot streak of I, I did wager on them in game five against the Dodgers and game four. I wagered on them in game two and game one because it's just like, look, if I'm going to sit here and watch nine innings of baseball, which I frequently do, as you are well aware of. But I, I mean, they've been really hot. So it would be very counterproductive for me to just be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to middle this and just book a small win. Also, you've watched me gamble way above my means before so why would i why would i hedge now it doesn't really make sense but yeah it's time to get it all back baby and maybe it's my my you know my conscience is like i know that they're not as good as the astros and the yankees i'm very confident i, I have a bet it, I, I took them as favorites to beat the cardinals in this series because the cardinals i just don't think are very good but it's been it's been fun to watch this team man they 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 don't stop like they've scored a bunch of runs in the eighth and ninth and you know what like Football season's not been great. There haven't been a lot of awesome games in college football, so I'm happy for baseball season for me to kind of keep going because I can't say that I'd have been watching like you know the Cardinals and Braves in the NLCS. But it's it's fun, Smalls. It's a lot of fun, and I'm happy for you too. I don't think you are. I you know, I am. I, we have a little rivalry. You think I always root against the Eagles? You think I? You know? You think? Yeah, I you're. Against- I mean, that's just who you. Are. You just muted your mic while you were trying to insult me. We'll assume you just like. Oh well, no, I dropped. It was a cough drop. I just think little, that it was a little check cough drop. If, if you, you think I was you. rooting for Kirk Cousins today, then we really don't know each other. No, I don't. Th- I don't think you were rooting for Kirk Cousins, but you know, you like to you like to throw jabs. You stick the knife in. It's fun to throw jabs. You guys won the Super Bowl two years ago. Like, who cares at this point? You're, you're I do. Die I do. Peace, but I don't care about that. That's over. That's. Oh, oh that's God. so far in my memory. I don't care. I need wins now. That's true. They'll get wins. They're fine. I don't know. They they apparently the the receiver. I'm going to take a look at Bovada. I I I'm going to look at you know how many wins they're going to finish with this season. I might have to might have to throw a couple shekels down. I mean they're three and three right now. Dallas is three and three. The Giants are what two and five, two and four. I think the da- Giants might have played one more game, and then the Skins have Dallas a win. is three and three. Right, Giants are two and four. Redskins are one and five or one and four. Yeah, so the division's fine. I know the Eagles' schedule, like week seven and twelve, is is pretty brutal. It's no good. It's tough. They got the Pats in there, but they can't score. And the Birds seem to play up to their level of competition, like, with with the exception of today. So I, I'd fire every. I'd fire my defensive backs. I mean, I'm gonna fire. I'm fire Russell Douglas. I fire a lot of people, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> All right, we'll get out of here. As usual, if you like what you hear, we are at Create Your Shot on Twitter, Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. Please do reach out to us. Send us suggestions for guests. You want to come on the show, our DMs are open. You can email us. Uh, as always, if you like what you hear, please do leave us a five-star review and uh, leave us a written review as well. Pushes up the rankings, and, and we, we would love that. But uh, other than that, Smalls, this week's interview, Stephen Griffin, assistant coach of the Gannon Golden Knights. Awesome stuff. We appreciate everybody who listens and enjoy this week with Stephen Griffin.
we are pleased to be joined by Stephen Griffin, assistant coach for the Gannon Golden Knights. Steve, it's Sunday night. Smalls is in a bad mood. The Eagles lost. But how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we're, we're pretty excited. This is a little different episode for us. Uh, like we said, this is your first year at Gannon, but also, you know, your first year as a scholarship assistant coach. Gannon's in the PSAC. You spent some time at Widener. We're just at Penn State as a grad assistant. Spent some time in Dallas. So we'll get to all that. But I kind of want to know, you know, you get hired in the spring. You got to recruit spring and summer. Like, how, how was it leading into, you know, practice is just about to start? How was the offseason for you, your first kind of offseason on the recruiting trail? I think this offseason was it was different in the fact that we got hired early enough to still recruit for the year coming up. So we were kind of still trying to find 19. We actually uh, brought in four new players that we recruited, Coach Jefferson, Coach Martz, and myself. So it was interesting the fact that we weren't recruiting for the new school year, but we were recruiting for the current year, like coming up. And I think that's been a little different in terms of division two is you recruit late and you get the majority of your guys late so that was a big adjustment from from widener and from different places that i've been before that what made gannon the right fit for you like you said you you got hired early which is you know and i remember and and smalls knows this too but like when i was a grad assistant you kind of are waiting and seeing like all right what's out there what can i get what can i do but seems like gannon was just right away you know like this is a good fit. Like, I'm ready to go. What made Gannon that that kind of fit for you, Steve? I think prior to it, I was just – I wanted a job really bad, and I was getting antsy, and Coach Chambers and Coach Ergo were just kind of like, relax, you know, stay patient, like something will happen. And I still remember Coach Jefferson texting me and saying, like, give me a call later tonight. And we had an interview, and I really – I knew about Gannon's tradition just from being – around the PSAC with going to Philly U and knowing different PSAC schools. But after talking to him, I really got excited and really wanted to work for him. And that's before I even got onto Gannis campus and came to Erie. What what are some of the first things you kind of did once you got the job and were able to get on campus and get settled? What were some first tasks that you had to accomplish? Obviously, you know, things are moving fast and there's a lot to kind of do. So what were you focused on? I think the first call I made was to my AAU coach. I uh, I coached for Mid-Atlantic Select, and he always, James Lee, he always is looking out for me and always has kids. So I think I, I immediately text him and let him know that I got the job, and I tried to just call as many people as I knew in the Maryland area to see who was still out there and kind of see who was transferring. Um, I think that was most important. But we also – just trying to get involved with the team for the guys that were still on campus. We had a few uh, students that were left over that were still on campus. So just trying to get involved with them and introduce myself to them and them being able to talk to me and try to get to know me as well. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Gannon's basketball tradition and uh, people kind of know about that for the people who don't, you know, what's that been like for you stepping onto campus and only kind of hearing about it? Now you're there, you're on campus, and uh, what's, what's that situation like at Gannon? I think it's, it's very cool. Like, that, that's a word I'd use. Like, it's when I was interviewed for the job, for the job Coach Jefferson was saying, like, man, it's crazy out here. Like, people are going to know who you are. People are going to know the players on the team. And, like, it's different. Like, it's different from where you are. Like, I'm telling you. And I'm like, you know, he's selling the job. It's going to be cool. But the first night we went out to 
dinner, we went to Olive Garden and the chef from Olive Garden came out. It was like, I heard you all are the new coaches. And I was like, this is crazy to be division two, but it's like a, it's a basketball town and people out here really love basketball and we're happy and we're ready to go to work. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, especially at a, at a place like the Olive Garden coming out and being like, here's, you know, here's some free breadsticks. You know, this is, this is great. They're not already free. <laughs> yeah, are they? Are they not? I thought it was like only a couple times a year was free. Uh, yeah. No, no, definitely. It's always unlimited for you guys, for sure. <laughs> Steve, as far as uh, joining a new staff, obviously Coach Jefferson uh, coming from Old Dominion, uh, long time prep school guy, South Camp Prep, tons of good teams over there. You know, you guys kind of get there, and I know uh, it's you and uh, Coach. Uh, help me out. The other assistant, Jordan Martz. Jordan Coach Ryan. Martz. For yeah. you guys, you know, did Coach Jefferson kind of, when you got on campus, was he kind of like, all right, these are how I want to split out the roles? Or did he kind of say, you know what, we're going to attack this as a unit? I'm always curious when you first get there, how does a head coach kind of delegate responsibilities? And then what extra responsibilities are you trying to take once you get on, once you get on campus? I think we recruited by a unit when we first got there, because obviously with Coach Jefferson being a Division One assistant and coaching at South Kent for this is be his 25th year coaching basketball. He already has those connections. So it's kind of him saying, look, my guy might have a guy here. You need to check this out. So we went about it that way. But then in terms of roles, we had, you know, split the team into fives. I take five, Coach Marshall take five, and we really are hands-on with them in terms of their academics. So we're getting a piece of the academics. And then me specifically will be in charge of, working out the guards, working out a big group and being in charge of travel. So, okay. So a, a lot of stuff to, to kind of tackle right away, especially, you know, getting in and, and getting in early for me, I, I kind of want to know, you know, how, how did Penn state, your, your, everybody's graduate manager, graduate assistant positions are, are slightly different at, at different stops. How, how was your experience at Penn state and kind of, you know, going from the NBA back into college? Can you kind of talk about the differences between the two roles? I think NBA was more shagging rebounds and passing the ball and kind of being a fly on the wall. Um, was able to do different video stuff when I was at the Mavericks. It was cool because I ended up getting hurt. Um, so that was a, a kind of blessing in disguise. But I will say that Penn State was a good experience because Coach Chambers felt comfortable with me working guys out and kind of really being in charge of a workout. And I think that was different. And knowing friends that were grad assistants in other places, they were kind of doing the things that we were doing with the Mavericks. I would say that he gave me an opportunity and a chance to really, all right, get this guy better. Or within the flow of what we did, but all right, you need to do this. Or while we're out on the road, or you need to make sure that this guy is coming in and shooting and you need to do different things like that. And he kind of kind of gave me a rope to – allow me to just do my thing and do what I learned with the Mavericks, which was a, a really cool experience. And you, you played college ball. We mentioned it division two. You were actually on, you know, I was the first year I was fresh. I was 22 years old. You were probably older than me, Steven. If I'm, I'm pretty sure you are, but we won't, we no won't, get, into, <laughs> we won't get into numbers. So I'm there. Uh, I get to meet you. You're this amazing teammate to your guys. Everyone kind of likes you. Uh, what was it like being a part of that program, being under Coach McGee, and how did that make you – did it make you want to coach? Did you kind of know your senior year that you wanted to take this further into coaching? I was actually just talking to somebody about that. They asked me, did Coach McGee 
drive my like coaching action. And I said, Oh, like I actually didn't want to coach. And I was looking to get out of basketball. Like once I just wanted to graduate and get out, it was actually coach work. Sean work ended up hiring me to coach at Germantown friends uh, school in Philadelphia, my senior year when I didn't have any eligibility left. So he's the one that kind of pushed me into coaching. And once I, started there I really enjoyed it and I was like you know this is something I could see myself doing for a long time. Steve you mentioned GFS and then you you were at Widener right after but I I, you know NBA jobs are really tough to come by even if they are kind of you know getting coffee and shagging rebounds. How how did that opportunity kind of come up because I know everybody's like oh I looked on teamwork online like I saw this I you know submitted my resume but you know a hundred people submit their resume and specifically for the Mavericks in general yeah I do know they have a very – I know people that have interviewed with them. I know people that have gotten phone interviews. I know people with Skype interviews, in-person interviews. But, like, what was that process like, especially as a guy, you know, coming from high school coach, Division three assistant, to, to get an opportunity to kind of intern with an NBA team? How did that come about, and how was the interview process for you? I think it, it happened – I was coaching AAU. I was actually at Catholic University coaching in a tournament. And Terry Sullivan, who is the – He's in charge of analytics and does scouting for the Mavericks. He used to coach in the D.C. area and I believe used to coach at Catholic University. And he knew of me because he recruited me in high school. So I randomly saw him and he told me about the internship and told me everything that you know was within it and asked me what I want to interview for. It. So I ended up doing a phone interview and then I did a Skype interview and then I finally flew down. Uh, to Dallas and we had an in-person interview and that was kind of I think the end the the phone interviews and the Skype never really bother me I think it's when you're in person and you you know you start like all right I'm really close to getting this or not getting this and I remember them at the end of the meeting asking kind of you know when would I know about the job and they said probably the first week of August and it's like May so I'm like I'm like, man, I'm going to be literally sitting on pins and needles waiting. But as soon as I went to the airport, they emailed me and told me I got the job. So that was kind of cool. When you got down there, you know, you did mention it was a lot of rebounding stuff. But one thing the Mavericks are known for, like they're very analytical, analytically forward, but they're also very, very good at player development. How do you feel you improved, especially as a workout guy? And we do talk about X's nose and stuff, but obviously you're you're unlikely to be sitting in a coach's meeting being like, oh, I think we should run pistol here. It's probably not going to be your role down there. But, yeah. you know, one thing that I remember from like the G League is you do get a chance to really watch guys do individual workouts, four-man workouts, two-man workouts, whatever. And you mentioned that was kind of one thing that you were able to do at Penn State. How much better do you felt like, do you feel like you got as a workout guy while you were with the Mavs? And, and kind of what things do you think you picked up that helped you as a younger coach? I think I, I owe everything to that experience with the Mavericks in terms of what I do now with development and where I've gone. It's because seeing how the elite works and seeing what specifically they do every day, and it's not as crazy as I would think going into that experience. It's very basic. And I think Mike Procopio, who was in charge of my group in terms of player development, he did a good job of saying like, okay, this is why we do this. Or this is why this player can do this workout and this player is doing something totally different because it's specific to his role. Whereas before I got there, I kind of would want everybody to do the same thing. So Dirk's doing the same workout as Angelo's. 
You know what I mean? Like, I want to be like, okay, Dirk's going to touch the ball 15 times. Angelo's going to touch it one. So, like, breaking the breaking the workouts up in, in terms of that was really cool and seeing how they broke down the offense and saying, like, okay, we're doing specifically this action and you need to learn how to score off of this action and then this counter action. I had no idea what that was until I was with Dallas. And I think that's something that really – allow me to get where I am today and, and be able to work guys out and know that I could get them better. And also not only being able to see the Mavericks, but being able to see every team that we played because you're up top and you're, I was with the video crew at this time. So they record the shoot arounds. So you're seeing what a Phil Handy does for Cleveland at the time. You're seeing what Atlanta does, what Utah does. So it's like very, cool to see different workouts for different players and then of course you're you're taking notes on that and you're seeing okay this will work or I know I can perfect this workout to get this small forward that's going to touch the ball 10 times a game get his game right how have you adapted that process now to the college level right because you're working with NBA guys and you're working with higher level basketball players uh, how have you adapted that process and really changed it so it works for Gannon players and uh, then continue to develop that process. I think that's the greatest thing about the NBA is that what they were teaching the NBA guys, high school kids could do basic stuff, but it was a basic stuff, but it's the pace they do it at and how they compete, even if it's one on no. And I think that's the biggest difference is the competition level that it didn't matter if somebody was doing all right, five spots from, five shots for five spots around the rim, I want to get 25 every time. Or I don't want to get less than 20. And I think seeing guys compete, I'm like, wow. Or seeing the pace that it's done at, where, like, that's how you get better going at that pace. Because if you mess up at that pace, that's fine. But a lot of kids now, you know, whether it be here again or other schools, they don't understand that at first. Like, it's the pace you do it at and how you compete, even if it's by yourself. And I think that was the biggest difference in what I try to bring, like, okay, like, yeah, we are just doing partner shooter for 10 minutes, but you should still know your score. You should still be able to tell me, like, all right, I made 46 in this five minutes that I shot. Next time I need to make 50. Steve, did they teach you – did you pick up any – any? this is going to sound like a crazy dumb question because I'm sure the answer is yes, but did you – did they teach you any way to kind of like break down film, you know, or, or little things on like the iPad that like you might watch with a guy and be like, hey, if you see something like this, this is a good drill or, or any way to kind of watch film a little bit more, I would say with a little bit more purpose in terms of player development? Yep. And that's something I said that I that I took to Penn State as well as Gannon is the way we watch film. Like whereas before at Widener, I was just watching the game not really looking for tendencies or know how to look for tendencies that players might have. And I think we would go in probably twice, you know, every two or three weeks we would go into the film room and we'd have to give Procopio something like, okay, this week I want you to see, I want you to see how Bogut sets screens or how Kenneth Faree rebounds or why he rebounds a certain way or how he attacks the ball or, why this point guard, why Yogi is coming off of a drag screen, how he scores, but looking at it 10, 11, 12 times before moving on to the next clip. So I think that now, like, your eye is faster. And that's what I tell my friends, like, I could see something happening now. Even when I was at Penn State, you see stuff and you go like, 
okay, if you do this next time, you're going to score. Because this defender, I know he's going to jump a certain way or I know he's going to react a certain way to what you just did. Did you feel like when you got there, you were behind? I, I, I say that knowing like what it's like, at least for me, to work in an NBA organization and being like, man, these guys seem like geniuses, but a lot of it's because like the repetition and the amount of time they've spent, like you said, watching games and, and getting even simpler so they maximize their time. You know, there's not a ton of different terms. There's not a ton of different coverages. It, it is much simpler. But did you feel like when you got there, did you feel overwhelmed at first? Very. I thought everything was moving way too fast because I was coming from Division Three, where guys are not as quick, clearly, like not as quick, not athletic, not as athletic. And I think being there, like even watching a film, I'm like, I don't even know how to clip this. Like I can't clip it because the actions are happening too fast. And I think once I practiced and practiced and practiced, I finally got it to where it didn't look as fast. And once it didn't look as fast on film, I was like, I got it. So when I'm at Penn State and I'm, you know, telling somebody like, oh, I think you should do this, it's because I've just watched and I watched it really quick because it moves like I thought the pace was slow from going from NBA to Penn State. And it was kind of cool because it was so fast going from Widener to Dallas. And then it went back to going slow because I was with Dallas and now I was at Penn State. Steve, if you had a, you know, one tip for somebody who was like a, an aspiring video coordinator who was getting his first video coordinator job in college or a small college assistant job in terms of film watching, what, what do you think that tip would be for an up and coming coach? I would say just practice, man. Like literally, I have a friend who's in the video room right now with the Pacers, Octavius Carter, and he, we literally would talk like, all right, we need to clip these up before tomorrow. We need to figure out how to chop these games even faster so we can get more and more opportunities to do more things. And I think really focusing on, I mean, it's all dependent on what your program focuses on in film, but like trying to learn that before you get there. So maybe calling up a prior video coordinator and saying like, what are some things that Coach Chambers really wants or Coach Jefferson really wants in films and pays attention to? How are you using all of this, just hearing you talk and develop, how are you using all this to essentially evaluate talent at the high school level or transfer market and JUCO level? Because uh, it's got to be a little different, but at the same time, you mem- mentioned competitive you know, individuals and how you come off screens and things like that. Is that going into your evaluation process now? Good question, Smalls. Th- thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. That was a great question. I think being with Coach Jefferson now, and he always says, and he's like, you know, there's always good players. So, like, I don't really – I think when I was at Widener, I put stress on myself to, like, all right, I got to find this guy, I got to find this guy. And then being at Penn State, you see recruiting, how hard recruiting is. And I think I didn't really understand how hard it was before going to Penn State and seeing, like, Coach Ergo's on the phone all the time. Coach Ferry's on the phone all the time. Coach Freeze on the phone all the time, like constantly talking and trying to figure out who's who. But I think in terms of me and what I look for in evaluation is is definitely a competition of somebody who's uh, a killer, like a, literally like wants to win everything, like wants to win everything. So I think for me going to a practice and seeing a guy in practice is very beneficial to me because it is going to be guys that you just kill every day. But, like, if you go, like, oh, I, I don't care about these guys. Like, they, I know I'm better than them already. No, I like to see the guy who's still clapping, 
still wants to fight for his call. You know what I mean? And then in terms of AAU, the biggest thing I did this summer, and it, it goes to Coach Jefferson, like being around for long, he's like, go to the back gym. Like, you know, everybody's on court one and two. Like, we need to be on court 24, court 14. You know what I mean? And see, and we look, and there's players. But guys don't really notice them because they're not on those main courts. It, it is it is funny you mentioned that, especially because, like like you said, Gannon, rich tradition. But obviously, you're, you're, you guys are chasing down IUP. Everybody, it seems like everybody in Division Two is doing that. But it is funny, like, when you'd walk into – you know, a hoop group event or like an elevated hoops event and you watch all these D2 and D3 guys and they are sitting on court one for like the 17U Platinum Championship and it's like, fellas. Mm-hmm. Not this like, guy. There's <laughs> like one guy for yeah, you. No chance. Not yeah, this like, guy. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a court one guy. Never never been a court <laughs> one guy. I'm a court seven guy. I'm a gym annex down the street next to the Wawa kind of guy. <laughs> well, it's like, all right, for example, you have the guy, Ryan Ratchet or whatever, who played for MD3D, right? He played at a ton of elevated hoops events. Like yeah. I've seen that kid play a ton. MD3D is a really good team. They're going to have a bunch of division three and division two players, but they're probably not making the championship at a really good event. Like they're not making the championship at Pitch Fest, you know? So if you're, if you're missing out on that kid, because he's on, court eight at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, but instead you want to watch, you know, Balls of Cabrifa or whatever and Mount Verde, you're just doing a bad job. You know, you're just doing a bad exactly. job. It's 100% true. And I, I, I respect the shit out of Coach Jefferson for, like, being open and honest and being like, fellas, we got we to gotta hit as many courts as we can. Like, it's not about, you know, go sit next to your buddy who coaches at Rhode Island and kind of chop it up with him. It's like, we got to get, get freaking players. Exactly. And then, you know, that's always what he says is like, guys just don't watch. And that was the first thing he told me is like, guys are literally like silly. Like they'll just sit there on a court with no players. He's like, just sit down and watch. And what he told me when he first started, he said he used to just go to a court and sit down. Like I'll go to a court eight and I'm going to see this random team from Howard County, Maryland play. And I guarantee there's going to be one guy. And he was like, that's all you need. And guys don't want to do that. They want to be seen in those those big courts. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, like, the way we go about it and the way he's teaching us to go about it is you sit down and you're going to find something if you're really working. Like, if you're really working, constantly trying to figure out. And what I always do is I look for the Maryland teams first because I may know a coach or I may know a buddy that coaches that team now. But literally just going there, sitting down and watching and not being afraid to be the only court, the only coach sitting, you know, in the coaches section with all parents, like there's no coaches there. So the parents are sitting in that bleacher. You're going to be by yourself, but that's when you find the great players. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, it, it's interesting because we talk a lot about, you know, and you've had a bunch of stops over the last couple of years. We talk a lot about coaching, you know, be where your feet are or whatever to rob our guy, Jimmy Fennerty of his phrase. But it's like, I do feel like guys will sit down on court one and two and they'll, they'll see a guy and it's like, all right, well, I'm gonna call my friend who works and he's at another event and be like, yo, you got to recruit this kid. And that's great. And you want to network and you want to like try to help people out. But if your own situation isn't taken care of, you know, like you said, you guys had to bring in a bunch of players like that is a big deal for you. So it doesn't make any sense for you to be like, Hey, this is big time basketball. And I, and I get it, Steve, you know what I mean? Like it's, you want to watch better players. Like you're, you're a hoop head. You worked in the NBA. Like I get it. You know, that's what it's about. You want to see great players, but I think, it requires a ton of discipline to get out there and be like, hey, I got 100 kids on my list. Like, I got to start knocking some names off. And I got to start figuring out exactly. who's going who's to win us a PSAC title, I think. And so I, I think that's, and that's awesome. that's most important. Yeah. 
objectively. What was your guys' initial recruiting list like? I think at the Division Two level, like you said, you kind of recruit late, and you might have some guys that you know they very much border Division One and Division Two, and they're kind of waiting and seeing what's happening. But but for you guys, was the plan to try to get guys early, like try to really lock in on some guys that you're like, hey, these are our top recruits, or were you like, hey, maybe we'll kick a couple down the road because we got a chance if something doesn't work, like to get a guy that we think could be like a PSAC player of the year? Like, how did you kind of evaluate both what you needed and how big your list needed to be between April and July? I think Coach Jefferson got hired at, at like a weird time. He got hired in April. And then we ended up, me and Coach Marks ended up getting hired like end of May, early June. Um, so at that time, they only had Ryan Rachick, who was, uh, incoming freshman as well who the previous staff recruited um which is was a good piece that we needed but then coach you know being around for so long once he got on guys are texting him like yo this guy's leaving here you should you should you know talk to them and we ended up getting a transfer from rhode island we ended up getting uh, a kid from harcum community college we ended up getting the staten island player of the year chris clancy and then we ended up getting a uh three-time state champion in Imani Walker who went to Poly High School in Baltimore. So I think this first recruiting class was was off of Coach Jefferson because of, you know, what he's done in the business the last 20, 25 years. People respect him and know he's a great coach, so they want to put certain kids in his hands. And it's on us to develop them and get them where they need to be by the time the season starts and, and by the time we really start getting this thing rolling. All right. I'm, now, you're a young guy. You're kind of like us. and. Tyler mentioned you're a hoop head, but are you, how are you managing and balancing kind of coaching with your personal life still? Uh, I know we're into the season. We're almost Tuesday. We start full practice and everything like that, but are you able to balance personal life with coaching right now? I think I'm very fortunate. Um, and I know I keep saying coach Jefferson a lot, but he's an amazing boss because he's not, he's not a guy who's like, all right, you need to be here at 5 a.m. and you're not leaving until 10 p.m. He's a guy that's going, like, get your work done. Like, I don't care where you do it, but it needs to get done. So I will say, like, I'm in the office. I get what I need to get done. And then after practice, we can roll out. And I think I do a good job of saying, like, if I have stuff to do, I'm going to stay in the office. And maybe some days are later than others. And then I'll come home and I'm chilling. Like, I'm not doing... I'm not doing anything basketball work related unless he really needs something, but he's, it's all about who you work for at this stage, like being an assistant. Like if you have a guy who, and there's nothing wrong with that, there's different ways to do certain things. But if you have a guy who wants you to be in, you know, sun up to sundown, that's what you got to do. So I think it's not a chance to really have a personal life, but I would say like, um, I'm good. Like I, I leave work and I'm fine to do what I need to do. I can go home, relax. So that, which is which is really cool and different from some guys that I know that are in the business. I, I would I would venture to guess, and I won't have you say it, but I would venture to guess that you're coming from a situation that was much closer to a sun up and sundown situation at uh, up there in Happy Valley, knowing what I know about. <laughs> well, because like here's the thing, I, I think people don't realize this. Like they think you know at Villanova, they think Jay Wright is this like super cool like straight laced guy, like he must be really easy to work for. And like those dudes are in the office at eight a.m. every day, like eight a.m. every morning, business casual clothes, like it is serious shit at Villanova. And that's Pat Chambers' background, so you know he's going to make sure that his guys are there and they're getting their work done. And you got to put it. I mean, the same thing. Like Chris Beard, I know, like his GAs are in the door at like six thirty a.m. every single day. And if you want to, you want to work for him, you got to do it. And I'm curious, do you feel like? 
it's probably too early to say which situation is a better fit for you, but do you feel like there's the pressure is a little bit different? Do you, do you feel like it, you know, for you, it feels like, Hey, I'm open. I'm free to kind of bounce some ideas off of like off other people. I can go watch a practice somewhere else if I want to. Like, do you feel a different sort of vibe at Gannon than it, than it was at any pre- even I would say at any previous stop, honestly, not just Penn State. I think working with Coach Caridio at Widener was kind of the same way, and he he told me in, in terms of it being relaxed and in terms of like get your work done. Like I don't need to see you here at five a.m. I think. I think at Penn State, it was a different situation because of what we were going through at the time was we had to win. So some people believe that, you know, you're going to get better results the more work you put in, the more hours you put in. And again, he's coming from that coaching mode. So I think it's just the same. Like I heard Coach Bennett at UVA is very relaxed, like sweats in the office during the summer, like very, really relaxed. You come in, you leave. And that's kind of how Coach Jefferson was like. As long as the work gets done, that's the most important. But, again, there's people who are really successful, like Chris Beard, super successful. <laughs> and he's, you know, like you said, the GAs are in there at 630. So I, I think it just depends on the personality. But I really like what we do here again in, in terms of, you know, we're here, we're going to be in the office putting in work, but our work's going to get done. And then we have lives, you know, we have families, like Coach Jefferson has a family. Like he he wants to go see his family. So I think it's really cool. And, you know, let me know. But he also told me, like, look, it's not always going to be like this. So you have to be prepared. You got to be prepared. In season, it's in season. It's different. Like we're not we're not out here saying you're working until 230 on like a Tuesday in the dead middle of the conference season. It doesn't work like that, you know, and I don't want people to think that's the case. It is more of like the offseason thing, because I think in season for everybody is pretty freaking similar with the exception of like maybe some guys come in at 9.30 and maybe some guys come in at, you know, 7 a.m. Like that part's different. But everybody's working hard mm-hmm. in season because you, you just can't win. Like you, you got to watch film. You got to meet. You got to play in practice. You got to be with your players. Like you don't have time during the season. That's just kind of how it is. I think, you know, one just one last question for me uh, before we go to coach speak. You know, big goal for you getting on the road, a scholarship, uh, scholarship place like, but for you, obviously, your short-term goals do the best job you can again. And have you looked to the future a little bit? Like, what are your, you know, your goals two, three, four years down the road from now? And, and, how, and how are you – sorry, and how are you focusing on, on reaching those goals? My bad. I, I was trying to take a breath. I was talking no, about, no, you're you know. Good. <laughs> good. I think my ultimate career goal is to be a Division One head coach and run my own program. And I think day by day – I don't really have like, oh, in two years, I want to be this. In three years, I need to be here. I, I believe I did that early on in my career at Widener. And uh, it just messes you up, man. Like it messes you up and it, it messes with your mind in terms of, all right, if I'm not here when I'm 30, I'm a failure when that's not it. So I think now I've kind of taken it day by day. And my only goal for this season is to win as many games as I can and to make sure that my coach gets coach of the year. So I need to do anything I could do to make sure he gets that. And that's what I kind of work towards. And, and, you know, and everybody says it's a cliche, but I really believe it. Like the harder you work for other people, like something's going to happen for you. Steve, when did that happen for you? Were you, cause I, we've talked about this a little bit on the show and Smalls and I've talked about this privately. Like when you finally realized that like, you don't need to measure your career based on arbitrary benchmarks of like, man, if I'm not a division one assistant by 28 years old, then I'm not going to do this anymore. Like when did you kind of fall in love? that's probably not the right thing, but like, I don't want to say like fall in love with the process, but like, when did you realize like, man, like I'm good with where I am and I'm going to keep working. I'm going to get to where I need to be. 
but I don't need to put a time limit on it. Like when did that click for you? Was it a specific moment or was it just like, you know, I'm really enjoying myself and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I think working at Penn state and kind of what you just said, coach chambers was like, like, look around, like, look where you are. He was like, you don't need to like, this doesn't need to be a rush sort of thing. Like, I don't think enough people, like people don't really take time to go like, take a breath and go like, look where I am at 28. Look what I've seen at 28. Look what I've seen at such and such age. So I think it was partially that like with him, it was like, take a breath and realize that you're at a power five school. You know what I mean? Like you're working for a power five school in the big 10 of all conferences. So like doing stuff like that, I think that just hit me where I'm just like, I'm not in a rush anymore. And I, and I say all the time, like run your own race. Like I can't be concerned about, and that's what I used to do. Like all the way up until my time at Penn state, I was always checking like, all right, this guy got this job. He's 27. Yeah, that's where we used to So do. I'm 25 right now. You know what I mean? Like I need to be here by 27 or I completely failed. The curse of the dirt, the curse of hip dirt. It's, it's, <laughs> so hard. Dirt. it's so hard because like that type of stuff is so celebrated. Like the media is just like, I, I saw some, there's like a G league guy who's like 24 or 25 years old. He's like general manager of like the Santa Cruz Warriors. I don't, I don't know that that's who it is. I can't remember, but yeah, you see stuff like that and it's immediately picked up and there's an athletic article about how the, this person's, you know, they're to the next freaking red hour box. And it's like, how are they so good at 24? And you just don't, you just realize like one, it's a lot of luck. They probably are smart. They probably work hard, but at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me, you know, sitting on my couch in Nashville, like exactly. it means literally nothing to me. It's just like, Oh, that's awesome. Good for him. And I think that's one of the hardest parts about this job. And the one thing I always used to try to remind myself is like, man, when you're working for the Mavericks or like you said, you're working for Penn state. Like if you said to 25 people in your life, like I'm going to leave, here's the job. They would take it right away. Like your friends that work in like, banks or they work in finance or they're in sales or whatever. Like those guys think what you do is the coolest thing ever. They don't, they don't realize that like you might not be happy, you know, or you might be like exactly. upset about not being somewhere else. Like I think that's the part to realize. And I, I think this is a really important conversation for young coaches because everybody looks at hoop dirt and they're like, shit, man, I, I got to get one of these jobs. And it's just, it's just not that it's just not like that. It's just not that important. I don't think it's important that you get as good as you can be. So when the opportunity comes to get one of those jobs, you're ready to, to kind of take the opportunity. And that's kind of always been my thought process on it. No, I agree. I think, I think it's so true, man. And I, and I always say like, if I get a message from somebody on LinkedIn or something like that, I try to reply and I just tell them like, like your journey's your journey and you literally like you can't get caught up in that because if you get caught up you're literally going to feel miserable because there are people who, who've done more than you and may know different connections more than you know mm -hmm. and i think when i was younger i didn't understand that and coach caridio at wider used to tell me like like you're not getting a job because you see it on the internet you know what i mean like i i applied to like 80 colleges my first year coaching Widener. I knew nothing, <laughs> like knew nothing, but I was ready to be a division one Dobo. had no <laughs> idea what a Dobo does. You know what I mean? But like, and I didn't know anybody, I forgot what school it was, but I didn't know anybody there. So like, and I was talking to coach radio and he's like, who do you know there that will hire you? And I'm like, absolutely nobody. And he didn't know anybody there too. So he's like, you got to use your connectors. So like, instead of looking at hoop dirt, start looking around and saying like, Okay, for example, Penn State, Coach Chambers worked at, coached and played at Philadelphia University. That's where I played at. He played for my coach. 
You know what I mean? So like I call Coach McGee. Coach McGee makes that call. So like it, it, it like all connects. And I think just doing that and just try to find your connectors is, is would be the beauty of it. If I was a younger coach, that's what I would do. Like try to make as many solid connections as possible. That, that's one of the most important lessons that I've ever been told is like, I was sitting down. It was one of the guys that worked with the 87ers and he literally sat down. And he's like, all right, what do you need me to do? And he's like, but before we do this, who has a job that might open and who would hire you? Like make a list because I'm not just going to call a million people that I know and throw it out there. If like we have other situations that are a little bit easier, he's like, I'm going to lay down, but like, I'm not calling, you know, Neil Olshay and being like, Hey, hire my guy. You know, he's great. Like he doesn't know you for shit. So I think like that's, that's really good. Steve is like recognizing like, what are your connections? Like what, what can you do? Who can you talk to that? Like you can really get in the mix and then show who you are when you get a chance to get in the room. Cause it just so rarely happens now that like you just get a random call from putting in a resume or like you send a text and like, yeah, well, exactly. it just doesn't happen. It's like, yeah. It's not the way the business works anymore, you know? So I, I think that's a good point. Uh, I want to take it to Coach Speak Smalls. I got a great one for you. This is Mike Gundy, head coach at Oklahoma State. It's college football season. We love college football. But this quote is right up your alley, Smalls. Take it away. All right, man. It's a long one. So everyone bear with me in my reading skills. When you started on Donkey Kong, you could never get past the elevator level. You had the barrels, <laughs> then you had the structure, and then the elevator. The third jump you had to make to get up and over. It took a while. But after 50 or 60 times, you can make that jump and then you're set to get a high score. That's Mike Gundy. That's an insane, absolutely insane quote. (laughs) What does it really mean? This guy said this in a press conference. This guy makes three, four million dollars a year. This is a real press conference. Now, hold on. Let's all, as a group, let's think about this. Do you think Coach Gundy? He's got a little Super Nintendo, and he's playing like Donkey Kong till like three. He's like, yeah, I'm in film right now. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. We've talked about we've talked about some video games in the show before. We talked about NBA Jam, Donkey Kong, and also original great game. There's a good chance that Mike Gundy plays Donkey Kong. Yeah, because like, otherwise, like you're never making this connection unless you very recently played Donkey. Kong. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a 55 year old man. You know, it's just not happening. Yeah, he was grinding on Donkey Kong. <laughs> Oh man. What's it mean, Steve? What do you think you said? I honestly think, man, like, and it brought me back to at Penn State, we had to pick our word for the year. And I've always been saying, I've always said this word since uh, I was at PG Community College and my coach, Xavier Joyner, was resilience. You know, the ability to bounce back. So I think, you know, no matter what life throws at you, it's all about how you attack it. And it may be something small, something big, but it's all about how you attack it, how do you respond? What's your response going to be? Are you just going to say, in this case, are you just going to say, I can't make it to that level? Or are you going to say, all right, this is what I have to do to make it to that level. And this is what I have to do to bounce back and, and be resilient. Yeah, I think that's good. And I, I think it it does relate to this business a lot, maybe other industries, but you know, we're talking about basketball, we're talking about coaching and it takes a while and it takes the repetitions and Sometimes you've got to adjust what you're doing and you've got to look yourself in the mirror to make that jump and to get to that next level as, you know, coach Gundy. So awesomely points out in this Donkey Kong quote, but that that's really a thing that happens because it doesn't happen initially. It almost never does for you, but if you keep working at it and you do the right things and you continue to do the right processes, that's where you kind of have success. So that's where that's definitely a good quote. I liked it, Tyler. 
I got I got one more. We haven't done two a lot, but I, I like this from John Calipari. I, I took this off Jacob Jacob Ammerman's Twitter as always. Follow him on uh, Twitter. Some great coach speak and uh, videos and stuff. But uh, he said, "My job for all these kids is to make them uncomfortable. Their job is to become comfortable being uncomfortable." Steve, you've you've done it as a player. You played for Herb McGee. He he certainly made you guys uncomfortable. And and now you're you're coaching and you're in a position to kind of teach guys. How, how do you think as a coach? How do you make guys get comfortable with, you know, uncomfortable situations? Because I, I do think there's a fine line between, like, burning your guys out and whatnot. But for you as a former player, you know, how do you feel about this type of quote and, and kind of working your guys in practice to, to try to get them ready for games? I think it's very uh, suitable for today, like how today's athlete kind of thinks. And I think it's perfect for the situation we're in right now, like coming in as a new staff because things aren't the same. And usually when, when things are new, people try to fight change and like resist change. But it, I think on our part and being a coach is about making it consistent. Like, okay, this is the line. And this is what we have to meet every day. Like there's nobody going to fall below the line. And I'm not going to let that happen. Like as a staff, we're not going to let guys not reach the expectations and the standards that we want. And then I believe that's how you get something special like Kentucky has. It's because of those early, like, okay, this is what I did at high school, but this isn't working. So am I going to keep doing this or I'm going to switch it up and, and try to meet the level of what our coaches are saying and our coaches are speaking and, and teaching us to do every day? No, that's, that's good. Did you – I always like to ask guys who were players, what, what was the best coaching style for you when you played? You know, did you respond to guys that were yellers? Like, did you respond to guys that were more – I would say like warm and fuzzy, you know, not that you, not that you finished your college career with that type of guy, but you know, what was for you, you know, high school, college, what, what was the best coaching style for you? And, and I guess it even, it even matters too, as a, as an assistant, cause your boss is going to, you know, coach you for lack of a better word, but how did you, what was the best coaching style you thought for you as a player? What'd you respond the best to? For, for me as a player, I would say coach work. Like he was, he's chill, but he's fiery. And I would say the same thing with Coach Caridio. Like, he's he's very calm, and I think players need to see, like, the calmness, but he's a competitor, and they can get it. So whenever he says something in a different tone, they understood it, and they usually responded. So I think I was the same type of way as a player. Like, okay, you can get on me, but I don't need you to get on me every second. Like, if I mess up, just keep it consistent. And that's what I like in coaches, like, He's always going to be this way, not only when we're up 20, but when we're down 20, we're still chasing a standard. Or we're still trying to get to what our standard is. And I think that's that's kind of how it is at Philly. You. Like Coach McGee is, you, you know what to expect. Like there's no surprises. Like I know I'm going to get yelled at. Like I know if I mess this play up, I'm walking back to the timeout, you're going to get yelled at. If you miss an open three, you got a problem. But like, it's not a surprise. <laughs> it's nice to have the guy that's been the same coach for 50 years, you know, like it's, and you know, it's good for the administration. It's good for his assistants. It's good for the AD. They just, you know, he's the same guy. It's, it is who he is. Anyway, go ahead. All right. All right. Wow. You really missed that layup there, Steve, you know, coach Angelos, that's the guy I love playing for that one year. You know? <laughs> that's my bad. No, I'm that's my bad. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> All right. No, I'm taking it to city review. This is going to be an interesting one. I don't know a lot about Erie, Pennsylvania. I've heard 
Good thing Cena Netflix documentary won't have to bring it up. It's a little creepy, but oh, again, evil, ge- evil genius, right? Yeah. That was an eerie. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that's where Steve goes to get pizza, and he, you know, they're just like, Hey, Mr. Griffin, <laughs> assistant coach, here's some pizza. No, we're gonna give us three restaurants, two night spots or bars, and one activity doing eerie. I've heard it's actually a great town. You've mentioned the community, so I'm excited for this one. Okay, here we go. For restaurant, you got Tap House. Great food. I've never had anything bad there. Um, you can go, if we're going on a visit, we're going to go to the Bayfront Grill. You can eat on the water, um, eat on the lake. You're a Maryland guy, so is that like, what, what's the seafood like? Is it up to your standards? I will say I had seafood out here. It's pretty good, but I only had it once because I don't eat seafood unless I'm in Maryland. There you go. Good, good decision. And that's just a rule. Good there decision. Go. It's good decision. And that's just a rule. Now we got and two the, Maryland straps on this podcast. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great. It's a great choice. I don't want to be disappointed, but I think the last one I'd have to go Pineapple Eddie's. It's on West 10th. It's a soul food spot. Really good food. Really great food. And I love that name. That that's a name. That is a restaurant great that name. I need to go to. Now what what's what's your soul food order though? Like. I usually get the, they have these mini wings that are really good. And they actually have seafood there. And it's like, uh, it's a stuffed crab cake. Um, it's pretty good. Now, does anything compare, does anything, and I know this from our time at Philadelphia University together, you know what I'm, where I'm going to go. Coach McGee's wow. wife, Jerry, prepares a special dish that we still call the Stephen Griffin dish. <laughs> Wait, I will what? I will go down and it's a corn dish. Let me tell you this. Yeah. This is that is the greatest dish I've ever had in my life. Stephen used never... to take, it used to be a pan. She'd make a separate dish and pan it, and Steve would take it to his dorm. Oh, to uh, the townhouses and you'd have your own pan. Literally loved it. Yeah. Miss Jerry's my girl. I I enjoy that. I enjoy that. That dish is amazing. I will. I could eat that every day. Now we've got Coach's house next Saturday. I'm not going to expect to see you there, but if you are in Philadelphia, <laughs> I'll try that. to. I'll try to save a little for you, buddy. Please, please don't. He's going to put you on the schedule next year. <laughs> he wants to play at Philly U just so he just so he can take a Pyrex back of this. Oh uh, yeah, he knows we'll have it ready for. Him. Need that um, bars, night spots. Um, the kids go to a place called Coco's. A lot of, lot of things that could be. A lot of, lot of things that place could be. It's, uh, it's an outdoor bar. It's an outdoor bar. In Erie, Pennsylvania. It, Interesting. Yeah. It's connected to a club called Resolution, and that's where most of our kids go. They enjoy it. Heard it's a great time. And then there's Big Bar um, that's also really good. That's right, right downtown as well. And then one activity. Oh, Waldemere. It's an amusement park out here, Ooh. which I didn't know. Neither did I. And you can go to the beach out here. We have a beach. There's 10, there's 10, or, there's 10 different beach spots all along the, uh, I think they call it the, I don't even know, Sea Isle. We'll go with that. And it's 10 different beaches. So we do that a lot in the summer. We'll, uh, if we have any recruits, we'll take them there. It's really, really nice. And then amusement park, you're a big amusement park guy. Are you like roller coasters or are you like uh merry-go-round? You seem like merry-go-round to me. <laughs> I, I am a merry-go-round guy now because uh, I got stuck on a Superman, Six Flags, Land Over Maryland. 
I got stuck. I got stuck on a Superman. I was 13 years old. I, I've never went back on a, a ride again. Yeah, that'll do. Smalls, yeah. I don't know. This is going to sound super weird because obviously Steve and I are from the same county, but that ride, there were so many commercials for that stupid Superman roller coaster. But it was like the biggest deal. Like I had to go do it. Like I'm not a big roller coaster guy either, but everybody was like, oh my God, I've been on the Superman. And it was like, you literally like you hung down with your arms out. Like I can't imagine, I can't imagine getting stuck on that. Like that would be here for my life. Okay. Yeah, Steve, Steven, you ever go to, Steve, you ever okay. go to King's Dominion? I've been to King's Dominion once and that's actually for Halloween. Okay. I was going to say, cause they it had pretty, they, it was fun. They had the one shockwave or whatever, where you would stand up and you were like belted in yes. and that thing was crazy too. Like people would, and I always thought I would drop my phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah of course. Man, that's good. <laughs> I love it. We need to go to an amusement park. Give her, you should take, take recruits there on like an official visit. Just let them ride around on rides. That'd be awesome. They'd have a ball. All right, 10 touches, 30-second rapid-fire question and answer. I got the first five. Uh, who's the funniest uh, player you've ever worked with or played with or a uh, person you've ever coached with? I would say J.J. Rapinski, uh, funniest guy ever. I coached with him at Widener. Okay. Uh, all right, next one. What's your worst basketball travel story? Driving to Post University. Yeah, that's tough. It's the worst, <laughs> it's the worst drive ever. In life, I feel like who else told us? Somebody else told us that too on the show that that drive sucks. Yeah, it's it's th- you're talking Waterbury, Connecticut, right, Steve? The one we had to go. Yeah. Okay. Number one, well, the destination's really the problem too. The gym's not too great. Uh, there's not too much going on. <laughs> everything, everything within that area is just not a good look. Yeah, it's always a tough ride. It's always tough to play there as well. What uh, what TV show are you binging? I always watch the wire before the season starts it's been a ritual since i started i got one for you by the way if you like the wire there's a new show on netflix it's actually a reboot of like an english show but it's and it's still english but it's called top boy and it's kind of like the london version of the wire and the first season there's there's like eight random episodes that were on before and then there's a new season that just started and like drake and future produced it but if you're a big wire fan this is not nearly as good but it's it's along the same lines i'm gonna check that out it's good it's a good show uh, if you weren't coaching basketball, what would you be doing? I would work at a hotel. I've always wanted to own my own hotel. I was like, if, if I didn't get into coaching, I would do that. That's a good answer. That's a different answer. Than yeah, that's a great answer. <laughs> what Now, what draws you to the hospitality business? <laughs> great question. Like, a oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, like what I've made you interested in hotels? Yeah, you just love- I've just always liked hotels. Like when I travel or go on vacations when I was younger, it's always been like this would be cool to like have one of these. Steve, I am with you. I've I've said this for a long time. I've been a champion of wanting to live in a hotel for the rest of my life. Uh <laughs> no question. Obviously very difficult, not as feasible, but it's it's the greatest thing in the world. There's nothing better. He used to say this all the time when we were on road trips. He'd be like, Tyler, how great would it be if you just lived in a hotel? Like, yeah, you, you'd have some issues with food, but like someone just makes your bed, your bathroom's always clean, the service is great, people are smiling at you when you walk in. And I was just like, Go ahead, you can live in a hotel. People do it. I think they get pretty lonely. I'd, I'd make friends with the with the kitchen staff as well, and that's how I would get my food, Steve. Obviously. You have to. You'll be good to go. <laughs> Last one for me. Who's the best player you've ever played against? Mm, I had I haven't played. Well, let's do your playing career rather than like, oh, I guarded Dirk in practice because like that's a pretty easy yeah. answer. 
So I'm thinking about this. So I need to go of who uh, I I wasn't on the floor for this, but I will say that my favorite players ever to watch at Maryland were Darnell Dodson and Isaiah Swan. And I go down, I was I'm not on the court playing, but I saw them plenty of times in my high school career. Or Isaiah, I was in elementary, middle school, the best player I've ever seen play. You must have gone, you you, you had to have gone to Dan Harwood basketball camp. 100% you had to have gone to it. <laughs> No, I did not go to Dan Harwood's basketball camp, and some people can't believe that. Well, he he was there the year they won the state title. They beat Eleanor Roosevelt, which was like Eddie Baz and Delonte West. They were loaded, whatever, and they win the yeah. title. And Isaiah was like a, a sophomore, and then he left, and he obviously ended up at like Hargrave and Oak Hill. But he was like so freaking good. And I remember at the time I was like, how could this guy not be an NBA player? I, w- I think I was in like sixth grade or fifth grade. It was like the biggest deal, you know, and he was awesome. Exactly, yeah. No, he's awesome. And then I, Darnell was a, a problem. He was a problem. He was really good. We we were going to play them. My senior year in high school, we beat Magruder in the state title at Sherwood, but they beat Darnell on like a buzzer beater. Like he was ridiculous at Eleanor Roosevelt and they beat him in the final four. He had like a huge deep three to tie the game. And then. Yep. I was at that game. I was at that game. I, I literally remember that I, shot. I can't remember the kid. It was like a little point guard with dreads like drove down the court and made like a foul line jumper at the buzzer it was like a huge onion shot but before that like darnell was like four dudes on him i mean this dude was like a six eight like swing man in, in maryland public school like it wasn't there weren't dudes Dominate. like that you know <laughs> yeah they're not dudes yeah. like that all right smalls we're done with the maryland high school no no that's cool i love it it's therapeutic <laughs> for both of you and, and i respect it if you could we, we need it yeah you need it if you could change one thing about college basketball what would it be uh, I would say to give like small college more opportunity to work with the guys. Like I, like we have, we're able to allow students to stay stay during the summer, and we can't even be in the gym with them at the same time. So I think basketball would be better, and I think if the opportunity was given, that'd be something. And I would say for Division three to be allowed to do something before October fifteenth, I think if they were allowed to have workouts and have an eight hour rule as well, I think that would be. Really good. The lead, the lead up time is so so small for Division three schools. It's crazy. It's just so small. Even even for us, just going through this preseason with eight hours a week or whatever, it's like you should be able to have eight hours on the court, my or four hours, two hours, two 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 hour team practices and four hours of workouts during the week. It's just not enough skill work that you can do before the season. And yeah, I get it's a long year, but. I don't know. I, I just feel like it, it, it all falls short, but who knows if it, if it will ever be good enough. What's your best moment as a coach? I would say grad assistant year, first year, beat Ohio State at the buzzer at Ohio State on a half-court shot. That was, t- that was Tony Carr, right? Tony, that was Tony, crazy. Yeah, Tony, Tony Carr. Carr <laughs> cashed it from very deep, and I just remember sprinting onto the court. It was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Might have to pull up that tape. That would be nice. Pre-game routine. Do you have one, Steve? Yes. I will religiously, I'll work out in the morning really early, and I make sure I take a good nap during the day somewhere. And then before the game or before, like, shoot around or scout, I usually get a, a large coffee from Starbucks. Oh, nice. Like, is it just regular coffee? You're getting cold brew now, nitro cold brews out. Do they have nitro in Erie? 
They do have nitro. All right. In here, but I stick to the hot coffee, large, hot, black. All right. I love it. I love the specifics. Last coach who texted you, what did they say? It can't be me, by the way. Uh, it can't be me. You, no. you disconnected. I, I was, like, was going to use that one. Um, it was a high school coach in Baltimore. Hope things are going great, coach. Here's the workout schedule for the week. Awesome. There getting his go. guys, getting his guys looks. I love it. You know, I love it. more high school coaches do need to do stuff like that. Like just be shameless. Like try to get somebody to come through your gym. It's important. Your kids need it. Two podcast guests we need to have on. Well, clearly I'm going to say her McGee. <laughs> you, listen, that would be a, a classic. Smalls won't do it, man. He won't do it. I told him, take your podcast equipment, take your podcast equipment in one Saturday, set up in his office. Like, It'll be <laughs> that so would be easy. A he won't. He won't. He won't practice. Do it. We're in and out. We have pra- We like to meet an hour before, talk about, and then we do practice, and then we might go get a sandwich. It would be. It would be a tough, tight <laughs> schedule. I'm thinking after, possibly after the season. See why we'll pay for his freaking. He'll, we'll pay for his freaking sandwich. We'll get him an Amstel Light or whatever, Mick Ultra, whatever he drinks, and we'll put him on the He's show. Definitely a Mick Ultra guy. Definitely <laughs> Mick Ultra. Yeah. <laughs> And I would say, <laughs> I would say, who else? Maybe John Cheney. Oh yeah, there's He's no chance that would happen. I mean, we it would be it'd be tough. <laughs> That'd be classic. I mean, we would have to go to the living room. We'd have, I'd have probably have to call Sunny Hill for a favor. We need we need three thousand explicit tags on the show so people people were <laughs> no aware question. of what was going Which on. Which would be awesome. It would be good. It'd be a great episode. If we also, had great any show. to do, we'd do it. Also, also the episode would be twelve hours long because nobody likes to tell stories like that guy. And uh, you know, he might have great stories. He does have great stories. He probably buy he probably buy a bushel of crabs for us to eat while we were doing it. He's a big seafood guy himself. So, all right, last segment, parting shot. Same two questions to every guest. Steve, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, two things: run your own race, which is just like don't compare yourself. And then my JUCO coach used to always say. Dedication plus discipline equals success. All right. I'm changing the age up on this final question, so be ready. A little curveball. Face-to-face with your 24-year-old self, what are you telling that person? Mm, Patience. Have patience. Have patience and learn everything you can. Probably still telling yourself that, too, I would imagine. I think that's – No doubt. I think that's, like I said, one of the most important things. No matter where you are, understanding, like – take it in stride, be patient. Like, cause everybody's dreams. I mean, I guess unless you're John Calipari and you're, you know, you're just competing for national titles every year, you're Tony Bennett. Like maybe then you don't necessarily need to remind yourself, but probably 99% of people in coaching patience is really important. But Steve, we appreciate it, man. Follow him on Twitter at coach S Griff three. Uh, good luck this year in the PSAC, man. I, I know Smalls was kind of cluing me in. I was looking at the standings. Apparently it's, it's going to be a wild year. I know it's year one. Like I said, everybody's chasing down IUP and, I'm excited to follow you guys. I think it's you guys got a great staff and, you know, city star for you guys to be good. So we're excited to follow you and best of luck this year, man. Thank you very much, man. All right, Steve, we'll talk soon.